position in a spirit of honor, uh, we introduce Pastor Timothy George as he brings the word of God. Thank you, Pastor Tim. How shall we start today? Oh, I feel like the Holy Spirit's got something good for us today. I'm just not sure what yet, to be honest. I don't have all the answers, um, but if you'll just be there with me in faith, I'm always eager. I'm always excited for what God's going to do. It's always better than what I can come up with. Let's just maybe just start by praying together. Lord, has to be your words, Lord. We're all here, Father, united under your name, God. That's your miracle. This is your church, Father. Lord, I pray that in our hearts right now, Father, that we'll just, we will just bow in our hearts, Father. We'll just submit, Father, to your glory, your kingship. Your ways are higher than our ways, God. Give us the words, Father. Give us the ears to hear them, Lord. Amen. Grab a seat. I've called uh, today's sermon A Pregnant Heart. And I'll explain what that means at the end, but I just want to, I don't have slides today, so I'm going to have to tell you all the, the things, all right? Yes, we're currently going through a values series as a church, and we're going to be doing that at least probably for the first half of the year, quarter to half of the year, depending how we go. And we're basically meditating on and we're uniting behind what it means to be a Christian and what the values are that We've found words to talk about these mysteries of God, these values of God. We've put them into words. Uh, and we want to talk about that together so that we can unite behind it together. Who reckons that uh, uniting under values is a pretty important thing for a church to do? Would you say? Any business or any sports team or anything like that the values, the mission statement, isn't that what drives it forward? The flag, it's what sets different things apart from each other. Our values are the things we think are valuable. Now, okay, let me ask you another question. If I were to look for the world's most valuable object, where would I find such an object, do you reckon? Physical object, not everything spiritual, church. <laughs> physical object. Where would I find it? Museum, yep. I reckon it would be likely buried in the deepest parts of the museum, possibly in a vault, possibly guarded as well. I don't know if I don't know if Hollywood's right with all of the lasers and stuff. Like I don't know if that's real, <laughs> but I feel like in my imagination that's how it would look. This most valuable object. I even love the I love the name for where we put our valuable things. We put them in something we call a safe, right? <laughs> As a believer, our values are both at our deepest foundation, but they're also worn by us. They're shone from our faces. I feel like that's such an incredibly vulnerable thing to do as a believer. I can tell you this. When I, was, when I went over on a mission trip to Rwanda, uh, we took some money to help build some houses. 
And we just carried, as a team, we were in a car and we were just driving around with this money that we'd taken to do the work over there, all right? And when we got it to the church where we were going to get a plan together, we put all the money out on the table and the pastor that was there, he almost had a heart attack. To us, I think we'd, we'd all, each chipped in maybe 400 for the mission. And there was about 20 of us there. And, and, you know, we knew it was a lot of money, but for us, you know, wasn't the end of the world. But the look on his face, he said, man, if I'd known you were driving with this, I would have sent an armored guard. That's like a lifetime wage or more. Like, isn't it funny? This thing values. Isn't it funny? And this is what I'm talking about, the vulnerability of it, because there are values that I know each of us have in our testimony that we care so much about. And we wear them. Like, if, if I believe if you're doing it right, it says that the, the light of God will shine from our faces, our values. We, it's, our heart is on our sleeve, so to speak. You've heard that term. It's about our vulnerability. We don't have... <laughs> That thick skin, you know, like we care about things as Christians. We care. We have values. I have some good news for you as well. I believe that the values of the believer, they cannot be stolen or sullied by this world. The Bible says that we store up our values. So yes, we can wear them, but they are eternal. We not only will wear them here in this place, but we'll wear them in in the kingdom to come cannot be stolen, cannot be sullied. The Bible does say this though, do not cast your pearls before swine because we're not to devalue our values. We are to value our values. We are to wear them. We are to shine them. I think sometimes the tricky part about being a Christian is that when we talk about values, it's almost like we're talking about something intangible. You talk about truth or you talk about goodness or you talk about kindness And it's kind of hard, even as you imagine yourself wearing that thing, we're so fleshly. Even when we talk about spiritual things, we have to talk in fleshly so we can understand it. When we talk about the armor of God, it's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking about these physical things. And this is our heart's posture to move these moral principles to be on us. Do you understand what I mean? Like visible to people. They are covering to us. I believe that when you have godly values, that it should infuse every level of your life. That it should be your foundation of everything you build on. It should be your walls. It should be your roof. It should be your thought and your action, both in your home, by yourself, in your work, in the church. This is incredibly difficult things. These, it's easily said and so challenging to do, to be consistent in every relationship, every sphere, to let your why and your how be consistent, to harmonize together. When we talk about values, this is what we're talking about. In Genesis 33, 9 to 11, there's two twin boys that will reflect on their values And when they reflect on their values, Esau says, I have Rav. They're both kind of competing against each other to see which of them is the greatest, which is like kind of 
Every time men are in the Bible together, they seem to be doing this thing where they compete against each other. And anyway, Esau says, I have rav, which means much. But Jacob says, I have kol, which means everything. Isn't that exciting? Oh, sorry. I'm excited. Let me tell you a bit more. See, these are two small words, but they have a world of difference. For the world, they might say, I have much. It's insatiable. The world is insatiable. It's always hungry for more. It's got that thing called greed. It's got that, you know, that sin desires to have you. It crouches at the door and it desires to consume you. Those that entertain sin, you can sin as much as you want and always want more. You can say, I've gathered much for myself, but you still want more. That's greed. Greed doesn't stop being greedy. It just gets more and more and more. But I love the position of Jacob, who simply says, I have everything. What would that mean for you today to acknowledge that within yourself? To forget the way the world has you think, forget the way you think about the what you have in your values, and just to say you have everything. It just it changes your authority in the way that you move through the world. You have everything. Such a powerful thought. See, our values are not as the world understands values. And so as a church, it's so important that we continue to talk about it, to elevate it, to make it conscious, to make it part of our culture. I loved what Joel brought forward about worship three weeks ago. Interestingly, Pastor Jason, I didn't tell him what to preach, but he seemed to do like a part two to that in my mind. And I guess that what I'm going to do today is the part three. Um, more about the first value of City Church, which is to worship God. And I'm going to be focusing in on just two of those words, which is worship and passionately, to worship passionately. Let's talk about worship. Within the Australian church, worship's almost, you could say it's almost synonymous with singing. And we, are, we have been blessed to have Hillsong birthed in this place. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. One of those other weird things about when I went to Africa was to be in an African church to get ready for worship and then to hear them singing Hillsong. <laughs> I was like, I felt like I was a little piece of home had come across, you know. It was, it was surreal. That said, I believe that worship is any expression of your heart's adoration towards God. When worship is done correctly, it can, and I'll give you some biblical references if you want to take note of this. Worship can knock down walls, emotional thoughts, blockades in your life. That's Joshua 6.20. It, it expels demons. 1 Samuel 16.23. If you don't want demons around you, if you don't want them in your life, if you don't want them in your work, play worship music. It's a bit like me with country music. You play that, I'm out the door, you know? <laughs> that's, uh, that's like a demon with worship music, you know? I can't recommend it enough, you know? They can hear it. Play it in your homes. Play it in your car. Just soak yourself in worship music, and it's, 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 it's a barrier. Worship can heal hearts, and we'll come more to that later. 
The reason why we begin the church service with worship is so that we can unite together. So much of the miracle of church, all these random people you never would have known except for this amazing man called Jesus who we all love desperately. The miracle of church is that we are united together in pursuit of him. And so when we come here, the very first thing we do, we don't come here just for the coffee or for the conversation. One of the very first things we do is we get stuck into just declaring that worship, declaring that love, expressing our hearts to Jesus. And we do that in song. You could do it in art. You can do it in dance. You can do it all kinds of ways. The result is the same. It is an expression of our heart powerfully, passionately to God. We create in that moment when we do that, united like that, there's a blessing over it, and we create a spiritual atmosphere to God for God to work. Do you know what I mean when I say spiritual atmosphere? The oneness of heart and mind, the united. Let me talk more about that. Here's a spiritual atmosphere that wasn't so good. Matthew 13, 58. Jesus went to his hometown. Imagine you were Jesus starting your ministry. Imagine how excited you would be to go to your family or to, to go to your friends, the people you grew up with, your hometown, first fruits, the very best to them. Imagine how excited you would be. And what happened when he goes to his hometown? Too familiar. They belittle him. They say, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that guy just a human? And Matthew 13, 58 says, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. But I want to flip a couple of things today. Flipping, let me tell you this theology of flipping. Flipping is when, you know, God is consistent. If, <laughs> if God, due to lack of faith, can't do a miracle, what then would God do? If there's faith. Come on, is there reasoning people in this place today? God, Jesus did not do miracles there because of their lack of faith. Suffice to reason that if we are exploding with faith in this place, if we are glorifying God with all of our hearts, with all of our power, with all of our worship, that we are creating an atmosphere of faith where miracles can happen. That's the atmosphere. That's the good stuff. Although, like, I'm going to say this because I find it funny, though. It says, he did not do many miracles. He only healed a couple of people. Because I want you, the reason I want to say that, I found that hilarious. Because it's like, didn't do many miracles. He only healed a couple. If a couple of people would be healed today in this place, I would be very excited. I'd be very encouraged. And I love that because you can't slow Jesus down. You know, I'm not saying that our lack of faith can stop him. It can't stop him. You can't stop him. 
But I'm saying that there's a kind of atmosphere that Jesus loves. There is a kind of atmosphere that we can do in our unity, in our heart, right now, in this place, in our enthusiasm. There is an atmosphere that can spur Jesus on, that will make him want to do more. I love that. That's the atmosphere. So resolve yourself not to get complacent with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined, no heart has imagined all of the things God's prepared for those who love him. Jesus' ways, they are higher than our ways. You cannot comprehend them. See, this is, I think that this is one of the real wrestles that people have in their relationship with Jesus is because we are taught, within our current context, we are taught to worship our brains. You know, out there, they, they're preaching evolution, that you come from this monkey and that you've fought your way up because you thought better than all these other creatures. That's not it. That is not it. It was not your brain that saved you. It is not your brain that has made you righteous. It is not your brain that has let you come into relationship with your Creator to be there with Jesus. What, what was Abraham made righteous by? By his faith. We're no evolved monkeys in this place. We are the church. We are evolved from our deadness. We're past it. We've moved on past deadness. And the only thing that gave us that is our faith. You can't think faith. You can't reason faith. Do you think God cares if we say, God, you can't do that, God? <laughs> oh. That's what religion does. That's precisely what religion does. Hold on a second. You can't pick those heads of grain on the Sabbath. You can't eat food on the Sabbath. He tries to bind him up and box him up and bury him down. Nah. See, worship has a different kind of atmosphere than that. Worship moves beyond our comprehension of what God can and can't do. And in faith, we let Him do the leading. I reckon like most times on the ministry line, just to give you some insight, when you're praying for people on the ministry line, so often the challenge is, so often the challenge is what people are thinking in that space. You can almost hear, when people come up for prayer, you can almost hear their minds. <laughs> like people's minds nowadays, they're so busy. Like they're very rarely focused in, especially on Jesus. It's so hard for people to let that go. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is bigger than our minds. I actually think if that's the one thing that you can get is to realize that Jesus can actually take you to a place beyond your own thinking. That's huge. He's bigger than you. He has plans for you, good plans, great plans that you will never get to if you can only do what you're comfortable with, if you can only do that which you can understand. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one's heart can imagine the great things God's got for those that love him. Not one of us. 1 Corinthians 4.20, a kingdom of God is not a matter of words, not of lyrics, not of movements, not of color, but of power. Romans 4.3, Abraham was made righteous not by thinking, but by faith. 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. To follow Jesus is to be as unpredictable as the wind. John 3.8. To move beyond small-mindedness. To move into the realm of faith. Religion will try to bury God, but faith is resurrection. We worship. How do we worship? In faith. That's how we worship. We live in it. We worship in it. When we talk about worship, like you know this is a matter close to my heart because worship and creativity... I think, are very closely connected. Now, when you, when you express your heart and when you try and make an artwork, it is a very vulnerable position. And it's, I'm sure some of you feel the same even when you're singing in church or when you're doing anything. I know they say that people dread public speaking. Like, they prefer, I don't know, it's one of the worst things in the world to people. Who here has tried to do something creative before and either felt like they failed or been told like that they failed by someone? <laughs> Few of us. Probably all of us, but, you know. That's right. So one of the first battles you will encounter is criticism, either in the form of self-criticism or criticism from someone else. And I believe that this leads to a thing that I'm going to make sound negative so in your head you know that you don't want to be it. Creative constipation. I'm going to say that so you don't want it. In 2 Samuel 6.23... Here's an example from the Bible about this, where Michal criticized David's worship. And as a result, she was struck barren. She could never have a child. Who wants to be barren? That question should scare us. Critical of worship. For fear of God's sake, I can't be critical of other people's worship and let alone my own because I want to have that life and life more abundantly. I've got to tell you, there's been times in my life I have been barren, I reckon, and there's been times in my life I have been critical. I know that one. But for fear of God, I dare not. The circumstances that we are talking about here are when, I haven't got any of this written down, but I just, in the spirit before I got up, I just felt like I wanted to talk about it a bit more. The circumstances surrounding this is that when the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence was entering into Jerusalem, 
And David, so enthusiastic, was compelled to dance. Dance as an act of heart expression, as an act of worship. Compelled. I don't think David, I think that's the one account of David dancing. So, But he was compelled to do this thing. And if you think about it, just imagine for a second, in Australia, if we had a significant moment happening in our country and our prime minister were to do such a thing. Or imagine yourself as a teenager and your father or mother were to do such a thing. An authority in your life. See, this posture towards worship actually shifts our whole perception of what power and authority and headship ought to look like. Do you, understand? Do you, do you see that? David, as a king, could be doing nothing better as important things were happening. He could be doing nothing better than to dance before God. In our lives, so often we justify our behaviors by saying, I must do this to make money. I must do this to protect my home. I must do this to save my marriage. The best thing, generally, the best thing you can be doing in those circumstances is dancing before the Lord. And it's not going to seem it in your reasoning. It's not going to make any sense. How is that going to fix anything? The rational mind, it's beyond the rational mind. It's, it's into the realm of faith. That heart posture established David's kingship. That heart. David says, before he said anything else, he says, he says, God chose me above King Saul, above your father, and I will make a fool of myself before God. This is the qualifying feature of the heart of worship, of a Christian's life. That we can dance before the Lord in the most unlikely of times, in the most unlikely of positions. I hope that I see that in each and every one. This is my heart for each and every one of you, is that you cast off the world, that we stoke the coals, that we get the dust. Remember when Jesus commissioned us to go out to the world? And one of the things he does is he says, if the word doesn't settle, if my peace doesn't settle, if it doesn't work, then get your sandals and hit the dust off as you leave that town. Sometimes we abide in the town and we're just like, oh, well, maybe one day they'll listen. You know, it is, an, it is quite a serious action when you leave the town, you get the dust off because human beings, we don't want that dust to settle on our coals. It does not take much dust before your coals are covered and there is no light and there is no warmth. There is a fire that Jesus has put in you that he doesn't want dusty. He wants it kept fresh. He wants to blow on that with the wind of his spirit and to see you fired up. I don't have much time left, so I'm going to just tell you this, that the word worship, I loved it. There's actually comprised of two verbs. One is to turn and one is to carve. And they're so creative, these two verbs. They're both from the ancient Pi language. And, uh, and I love it because it's actually to turn or to wind. You know, as we worship, as we worship God, we get wound up, <laughs> I believe. I believe. Who knows that little monkey that you turn the thing on its back and then it just like goes. I reckon that here on the Sunday when we do our worship time, 
I want to see us getting wound up. Let's give our very best together for God in corporate worship together. And let's get wound up to make sure that the worship is all through our life, all through our week. This is just the, the celebration, the cream on the crop of a life lived in worship. So there's, th- there's this idea of winding up, and then there is this idea of to carve into. And to carve into is to transform, is to shape. When you worship God, you are being transformed. It is not a passive action. It is, it is not just a giving. It is also a receiving. When you worship God and you're saying to your voice, I'm going to give back this life, this breath, this voice that God is giving me, in your act of worship, you give those things back to God and in that place you are being transformed. You are being shaped. You are being carved into. Isn't that cool? Get you to stand to your feet. I believe Mikhail, Mikhail was once again an example of what not to do, but I believe that we can flip it, flip it, and we can say that the correct heart to worship will actually lead to life. She was made barren because her heart to worship was wrong. So life could not come through such a heart, such an atmosphere. But if we flip it, the right heart can actually heal, can actually bring life. My desire is to see each and every one of you with unbridled joy in your worship. I am determined to see this church become a place, we talked about safe, a safe place where we can store our values. I'm determined to see this church become a safe place in the presence of God where our values can be stored, shown, shone. Do you know God is safe? Do you know that? God is safe a fierce protector. He protected David's heart. He saw the goodness of it and he elevated it. For you right now in your heart, right where you are, he sees your heart. Let's make it a right one. Let's give, let's not be lukewarm. Let's give our very best. Let's make sure that when we come to church, it is to build an atmosphere where this home of God, this temple, this home, can be a place where we know that God's going to work great miracles. He will not be despised in this place. He will be worshipped, glorified, magnified, honoured in this place, valued in this place. I'm going to pray for all of us, God. Lord, we couldn't say a single word if it wasn't for you, Father. We would be less than dust if it wasn't for you, Lord. Lord, breathe on us afresh, Father. Bring that life back into these bones, Father. Bring that life back into these coals, Father. Convict us, Father, to bring worship into every sphere of our life, Lord. Convict us to move beyond our own minds, Lord, and into freedom, Father, and into glory, Father. Who's ready to worship God? (laughs) Let's do it.